you know you know i bought this like i bought this mic specifically for this this thing <laughs> you know that i did not know that <laughs> well hopefully it sounds good <laughs> well it, so i mean it sounds it sounds pretty good i i recorded my cats with a like so you said so you're like you're like oh make sure you know make sure that you have a good mic for this and i was like okay and then i was like well i don't know if my mic's any good <laughs> So then I just start like then I started looking on Amazon at different mics. I was like, oh, what what is it? What does a mic cost, right? And like, <laughs> I find this one is like five stars with thousands of reviews for like fifty bucks. And I was like, well, I wanted to record my cat anyway, so I just. Bought it. <laughs> Checked into my heart and trashed it like a hotel room. Who is your god? Where is she? She wants to bury me in Austin or never she go. She don't want to be a man. Oh, 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 she wants to be your love. All right, well, welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types. We're here with AQ, MRB, and our special guest, Tenderlove, also known as Aaron Patterson. Oh, thank you. <laughs> also known as the other Aaron who, who cures sausage <laughs> um, and works in rails. Actually, I'm probably the other Aaron at this point. <laughs> no, I think you're the, you're, I'm the other Aaron. I'm the other Aaron. Yes. <laughs> on this podcast he's the other Aaron. <laughs> okay okay cool so you were just listening to the a track that aaron picked by unknown mortal orchestra um and why why'd you pick that track have you been listening to it a lot recently or yeah i've been i've been listening i've just been listening to that song a lot recently or that music a lot recently but i have to admit like there's nothing there's no deep reason to it at all let me share with you my strategy for music selection. <laughs> okay, essentially, essentially, my strategy for music selection is to look at the KEXP top charts <laughs> and, then, and then go buy that music. <laughs> That's really funny. That reminds me of a story of a friend that I had in college that was like, always had to be listening to like the most obscure music possible. And he one, he one day noted that Hit, like uh, his dad called him up and told him, oh, I saw that, you know, whatever, like John Mayer sold five million CDs. So I went out and bought the CD right away. And my friend noted that that's literally the exact opposite of the reaction that he would have to that. <laughs> He's like, five million people have it. It must be terrible. <laughs> well, for me, so for me, it's like, I'm basically, I'm just lazy, right? Like I want to listen. So I want to listen to good music, but I just don't find that I have my, have the time to go listen to a whole bunch of stuff and then be like oh this is good this isn't good like blah blah blah. i'm like that's what these charts are for is they're like people are filtering this out for you we can delegate this there are people who we can delegate this to we've talked about this before an mrb strategy in the face of being overwhelmed by the selection of music is instead to just listen to music that is more than 20 years old basically (laughs) it has been proven by time to stand the test of time and and 
will be good in that way. So like more of the aged approach to, to, to music. So what I what I do is every year, so every year after New Year's, KEXP posts their top albums for the year. Then I go through each, for the previous year, right? So I go through all of those and then I pick out the ones that I like best from those top ones and buy those albums. So I'm constantly a year behind everybody else <laughs> but i don't have to i don't have to take the time to figure out what's good and what's not good right i do the same thing with movies like i don't go see any movies i just wait until the oscars are over and then i add all those to my netflix queue it's a it's a solid solid approach can't deny that that's i'm just works. lazy man i'm yeah. just lazy that's all there is like that's all there is so you have been really active in the rail ruby and rails community for a while and you've been actively working on rails as a basically a full-time contributor for a couple years now and we've talked in the past about kind of the the pros and cons or i guess the the good and bad of the open source world and you know how it can change from day to day i'm sure too for a lot of people how, how, what's your feeling about it right now? What state are you in? Are you happy to be doing this full time or are you? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. It's a, I mean, it's a lot of work. Like I got to do a lot of, so I have to do a lot of context switching because I'm not, you know, I'm not just on the Rails team. I'm also on the Ruby core team as well. Well, for example, recently I was working on um, adding HTTP2 support to Rails, but uh, we needed better SSL support for, in order to implement the server in Ruby. So then I had to go back to Ruby itself and figure out how to get that open SSL wrapper to work and, you know, just constantly like the constant yak shave you know what i mean like for sure what what kind of motivates you there is it just being excited about what's new and being able to push push there just being involved with the community i know you have a affinity for japan and japanese too so is this like a good way of interact interacting with the japanese rubyists and is that how you got into it or is it something else other than that I started learning, the reason I started learning Japanese, I'll tell you why, is because um, I started learning Ruby like a long time ago and I would Google for stuff and then uh, there would be like blog posts about the thing that I needed to do and there would be code, like code samples, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. But I had no idea what the blog <laughs> post was saying. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's how I started, like, that's how I started learning learning Japanese was just so that I could read that stuff. Working on working on Ruby is a good it's a really good way to practice practice language skills because I do get to, you know, I do get to communicate with the Japanese team a lot. Although time zone differences are a pain. Yeah, but. I'm sure has your has your Japanese improved greatly since the beginning? I'm assuming it has, but Oh yeah, yeah, but I still can't read those blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the eternal yak shave, I mean, I think another, I think of um, what AQ, I'll call him AQ because there's two errands, but what AQ I think is driving at is that it, it seems to, it seems to take a certain personality type to be able to do what you do like professionally and as a full-time job. So you, what is your 
what is the motivation that you find in wanting to pursue that? I mean, is it, I mean, I could see it being a lot of different things from like, you like, you enjoy helping people build things or you just want to know how it works better yourself or you just get some satisfaction out of making it work better. Like, or is it a little bit of all of the above? Like, where are you coming from on that? So one of the reasons I really like working on open source stuff is because, uh, so I'm a developer and I want to be able to help other developers. Like I want to, you know, everybody wants to be productive in their job. Everybody wants to help out, like help out their customers or whatever, right? And I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty good at, at development. And the best way for me to help other people is probably to help other developers. So that's one of the reasons I really like, I really like doing it. It's also fun because, I mean, I find that even though maybe the code isn't so great in open source, I mean, well, Everybody goes to a code base. I don't think anyone has ever gone to a code base and been like, oh, this is beautiful. I don't think that's, I don't, like, I don't think that's occurred. <laughs> I don't think that's happened. I can go to the code base and be like, well, you know, this isn't great, but you know, it's pretty good and there's a lot of tests for it. So like I can really focus on refactoring stuff. And uh, also since it is open source, I can contact other people who, you know, typically contact other people who worked on it and get, get good information about it and stuff. So I can really focus on um, refactoring skills, like that type of, you know, that type of development work. Also, I mean, and then on top of that is also the people that you get to meet too. You get to meet people from all over the world, interact with so many different types of people. It's you know, it's very interesting. And so what, so when you meet, you meet someone that's built, that's like used, that relies on the work you do to, you know, support their family and build the cool stuff that they want to build. And that must be really, that must be really awesome. I mean, I'm sure you meet people that like yell at you about not accepting their patch that one time, but <laughs> I think that probably, um, probably it's outweighed by uh, that. I mean, I know that and whatever whatever small contributions I've made to open source, if someone has actually like noticed it and told me that they appreciate the fact that I've done that, that's made me feel really cool. Yeah, I mean, you do, people people say that a lot and it feels like it feels very good. It's very rewarding when people say like, "Hey, I built, you know, thanks for the work you did. I was able to build, you know, build this different stuff." And I'm like, "Yes, I'm really happy." Like it makes me feel really good. I mean, there's the number of times people complain about not taking a patch is like, I don't even remember. It's like <laughs> very rare. So it's all really easy and mostly roses then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Got it. That's what you want. Your li- that's, you, that's what you want our listeners to be the takeaway. Open source is basically you just like chill and like learn whatever language you feel like learning. And then people come up to you and say nice shit when they meet you. That sounds awesome. I want to do that. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. That's, it. that's exactly what happens every time. Every time. <laughs> so I can't even remember when we first met at all, but I think even from the very early conversations when you and I started talking, we also talked about kind of food and about our obsessions with, um, or our burgeoning obsessions with curing meat and sausage and bacon and all that stuff. So we were going to, we were also going to talk about how you got into that and what the, what the motivations between behind that too. I feel like it's probably not the exact same thing as the open source motivations because it's not, maybe you're not touching as many people with your sausage, but there's definitely there's definitely got to be some similar some similar obsessions and motivations there too right there are there are 
similarities. I can think of one similarity. I mean, the main, so the, the main reason I started getting into curing meats, the main reason I started doing salamis was because um, at the time, well, actually, I guess it's still true. You're not allowed to sell them, right? It wasn't, it wasn't legal to sell them. And I'm just like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make sausage. You don't tell me what to do with my sausage. So like, <laughs> I guess that's like that's one of the reasons I like you know that type of creativity. That's one of the reasons I I also like open source is because you can do you know like if you want to write a weird program you can. Doesn't matter. Nobody's you know there's no rules. Just do it right. <laughs> so th I mean that's why that's why I got started with uh, doing cured meats in the first place was just basically I didn't want anyone telling me what I could do what I can and can't do I can do this I don't care I'm gonna do it so then I did <laughs> and prove and proving that you can and do it well basically too right yes that's part yes, of it exactly. as well yeah yep. I come from a slightly different motivation but it, it, it has a similar ring to it but I think one of the reasons why I got into Ruby was every programming all the programming I had done before in other languages and in college and high school and stuff like that there was never like an air really of creativity around the community. It was always like, I, I personally always felt like, like I'm a weird guy, like my entire life. I was raised by weird parents and all this stuff. And I have, I have a weird sense of humor and all this stuff. When I experienced like why the lucky stiff in my first entries to Ruby, I was like, okay, this is weird in like a good way. And in a way that I'm familiar with, like it's, people are being creative and people are taking chances. And like you said, just like doing things almost for the sake of doing things because you can do it. And I remember one of the first things I, I think I ever saw you talk about, I don't know if it was at Ruby Kai or something, was your like um, PHP Ruby thing or Fubi or whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever it was at RubyConf, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is exactly, there is no actual purpose to this. Like there's no real, but you did it and you proved that it was possible, right? And, and that was the point, right? Uh, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that wasn't the point. But well, it, I mean that's one. Of, well, that's one of the things that one of the reasons I really like. I really enjoy programming is because you just can. It's just you know you can do whatever you want to, right? There's no you. You open up your editor and it's like a blank canvas, right? You can do you can do anything. You can do anything. I mean, there's. I don't think there's very many careers that you can say that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that you could the Ruby community specifically, like you could come along and have some ridiculous thing like that or whatever it is, and people will be like, you know, applauding it and being like, "This is hilarious," as opposed to being yeah. laughing you off or like, you know, shoving you off stage or pulling the uh, the Apollo theater hook and, and pulling you off stage <laughs> and, um, with a gong or whatever. The Ruby Kagi that I went to, which was in 2009, there was like a similar thing where I saw this, I forget who it was, but one of the Japanese Rubyists presented this thing where he had this Ruby database that was backed by an Excel spreadsheet. Do you remember that? It was like 2009. It was a long time no, ago. I don't remember those. But it was like, here is this amazing new database. And he presented, it was all in Japanese, so I'm like paraphrasing whatever he said. But he was like, here's this amazing new database. And here's this Ruby gem and you say, you know, have the database and here's your ID and your row and all this stuff. But actually it was just an Excel, like you opened up Excel and it was doing macros and Excel and doing this whole thing. And I mean, I was just like, oh man, like what other community would, would you have that 
like where people like be clapping and like you know applauding this ridiculousness i think almost i think you personally have definitely taken the absurdity and a lot of this stuff to the to the next level and i definitely uh, applaud you on that too so i want to do i got an idea for a project what i want to do i want to do something like that like a database right but i want it to be backed by html tables <laughs> And by the DOM, right? Yes, yes. So, so it's like, it's just HTML tables, and then that's where all of your data is, is just these HTML tables, and you can use it as a database. That'd be awesome. Sounds very high performance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Performance is the key reason to do that. Yeah, yeah. clearly. I definitely think in, in the promotional materials, you can state browsers keep getting faster so this will just continue to improve over time without any work on our part, right? <laughs> Before we were talking to you, you were also talking about recording sounds of your cats as well. And I think cats for you are another obsession and another thing that people know you by. I actually have a Gorby Puff sticker on my laptop, thanks to you and your wife, Evie. So <laughs> was that another thing where you were like, don't ever tell me what I can't do. I'm going to have these ridiculous cats. Um, uh well, I, honestly, that was more that was more my wife doing that. <laughs> I didn't want cats. And Abby was like, no, we should get a cat. We should get a cat. And I'm like, finally, I was like, okay. We go see the cat. And I'm like, Gorby, we go meet him. And I'm like, okay, we have to have a cat. Have to have <laughs> But later... <laughs> Later on, later on, Abby's like, "Hey, I made these. I made these stickers of the cat." And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "You should hand these. You should hand these stickers out at conferences." I'm like, "Okay, I'll do that." <laughs> I liked. Uh, I liked what you said once. I don't remember where it was. Maybe it was in a talk or on Twitter or something about how like you like having these stickers because you want people to like come up to you and say, hey, I think your cat is cute and I want a cat sticker. And it gives you like a thing to like talk about with a stranger at a conference, which can be like a weird thing to find. People who do a lot of contributing and are like public and out there, people often assume that they are like really well equipped to like show up to a room with like 2000 people in it and like work the room but that's not <laughs> that's like not usually the case right i mean there's there's this like you can have this kind of outsized personality on the internet and still be kind of like a shy person in person and i just i found that really I found that really endearing whenever the hell you said that on Twitter or wherever it was, where it was like giving people um, an opportunity, like lowering the barrier of entry to coming up to you and saying hi. Because you know that people like, people really admire your work and like want to say hi to you and they might feel kind of embarrassed to come up to you and say hi. And at the same time, you aren't going to like walk around introducing yourself to everyone. So it's cool to have this like goofy cat sticker be like a nice icebreaker to like actually have a conversation with someone i think that that's really cool and thoughtful i think i think there's this other important point there too which is that there's this weird kind of predilection that people have or something in the open source community or in this tech community at large where people assume that just because you're getting on stage like yeah and you have a kind of outsized internet personality or whatever it is that you're that you're instantly like not just a celeb, not a celebrity really, but that you're like above talking to people and that you're maybe like also not nervous when you get on stage or do stuff like that. And I think that there's, there's this kind of fallacy there because most people, especially 
especially in the tech and like programming communities. Maybe this isn't true in you know journalism and stuff like that, where people are part of that is having like an uh, uh, open or front-facing personality, but none of us as developers who get up and speak at conferences, we do that because we want to share cool stuff and want to talk about it and want to, you know, be able to talk with our peers and share it and not because we like necessarily love being in front of a lot of people and talking. Maybe some of us do. I mean, maybe I do partly, but but either way, it's like I still, no matter what, still get nervous every time. I've done this like 50 times now or 100 times almost. Like, and I still get nervous every single time I, I get up. It's it's just a, you know, it's part of who we are and it's part of, as human beings, like, we're, no one's, it's really hard for anyone to get used to speaking to like a huge group of people and getting excited about it. So I think that that's like a lesson for beginners too, like who want to get up and go on stage and do that and be part of, give talks at conferences like, if you're nervous and I'm nervous, like everyone's everyone's nervous when they get on stage and it's just part of it and it's not, you know, that we're just as happy to talk to people afterwards and just as excited um, to share, you know? One thing you have to keep in mind is that, you know, you'll give a talk and you probably won't die. <laughs> <laughs> you probably won't die and probably your career will probably not be over, you know? In fact, yep. probably the opposite, you know? You'll yes. probably make a lot of connections and, you know, it'll just get better from then on out, you know? Tying into the Rubikagi thing too, or that the one time that I gave a talk at Rubikagi, was in 2009. Leonard Chin was like our guide and helper through the entire conference and he was awesome. And he was doing like live, of the English talks, he was doing like live translations of the talks into IRC, into Japanese. The translation was projected on a screen next to the next to the conference speaker. But I kind of like, I knew that, but I didn't think about it. So I was like delivering my talk and I was like going through it and I delivered like a joke and no one laughed. And I was like, oh God, dead air. So I was just like, okay, I'll just keep moving. I'll keep moving along. And then literally 20 seconds later, like he finished translating the thing I said <laughs> and everyone just started laughing like instantly. It was like, oh, I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right. This is just on a delay. Um, I was like, okay, this is funny. Um, and I just had to like roll with it and, and be okay with that. Luckily, uh, I think I was, you know, my lack of sleep and jet lag helped me get through that. So I play, I play piano or I played piano and I used to do, so I used to do concerts or whatever and I play in front of a bunch of people and I'll tell you, speaking in front of people is so much easier. It's so much easier. It's like, oh, yeah. it's ridiculously easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you don't have this, like, pre-composed thing that, like, you know, it's not the same. Yeah, there's a lot more tolerance. I mean, I like, if I'm giving a talk and I make a joke and no one laughs, I just try to make them laugh about how they didn't laugh at the joke that I just made, and that usually works. <laughs> but you can add, like, you can you can ad-lib, right? So I play, yeah. I play classical, I play classical music, classical piano music, and, like, for me, what would happen is, it was, it was the worst. I play, I play, and then I get nervous, and this is my, I get nervous, and my hands would get sweaty, and then I would slip on the keys, and then that would make me mess up, which would make me even more nervous, <laughs> which would just, like, have this snowball effect, and you can't, like, that does not, 
that doesn't seem to happen to me during talks. If I slip during a talk, it's like, okay, well, just move on to the next, like, whatever. Move on to the next topic. Nobody notices. If you screw up, if you screw up your own talk, no one notices. But if you screw up, like, if you screw up a musical, like, a piece of music, everybody notices. One thing that we end up talking about a decent amount on the show is that I have I have a pottery hobby, so I make wheel-thrown pottery, and one of the things that they teach you is that, like, you'll often see, like, Interme- beginner to intermediate uh, people that are learning ceramics, um, let's say they're making like a bowl or something like that uh, on the wheel and they have it and it, you know, it looks really great. You know, they're passing it around and people are looking at it. Like later on, you'll often find that person like with that bowl back on the wheel and they're like spinning the wheel around looking for like any minor imperfections in, in the bowl. And the line that you're supposed to tell that person is like, you know that when people use your bowl to like eat noodles out of, they're not like staring at it on a turntable that's rotating so that they can like notice all of the imperfections, right? Like normally people don't notice like these tiny, tiny things that you are noticing. Really? I bought, I bought, I bought a pottery wheel specifically for that purpose. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's dope. But also... But even to take it further than that, like the little things that make it a handmade piece are like, that's what people like about that kind of thing, right? So that's what's like the color that you add while you're giving a talk or, you know, the little flourishes that you add if you're improvising during any part of your like piano piece. That's like the stuff that the audience is there for. But it is really easy to forget it's not about your script or your perfect rehearsal to your cats or whatever it is. It's just about trying to stay in the, in the moment there, which is which is challenging. Yeah, we, we end up coming back to this a lot that there's like, like what being an artist or a creative person is about is like finding that little layer of humanity that you add on top of whatever the technical or like artistic thing that you're doing. And I think classical music is an interesting thing to talk about because, or an interesting avenue for that because classical music is one of these things where there is such a fine line between what's an artistic approach to something and what is just like blasphemy, I guess, against the original original work, you know? Whereas jazz and, um, you know, pottery or programming probably even are like, there's a lot more, there's a lot more flexibility there too. I think that the insight of I think that the insight that Aaron offered about like <laughs> I never knew that that you're you were so motivated by wanting to stick it to the man. Um, so uh, <laughs> in terms of like your your desire to like make sausage and like make a Ruby to PHP compiler and also to have cat stickers is like um, this more way more like punk rock thing than I gave it credit for. So, <laughs> Sur- surfing la- surfing last year's top ten albums um, for music purchases notwithstanding, I think that that's a really cool. Uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, insight because that's cool. People don't know that. That's not like a you know. I I think it can be really interesting to hear like what some of those motivations are, and I, I personally know a lot of people that do a lot of really cool stuff because basically they did it because someone told them that they couldn't do it. And they're like, wait a minute, that, that ain't right. You can't tell me to not surf the top 10 albums on <laughs> KEXP. I'm going to do what I want. 
<laughs> that is the most punk so rock we, thing you could possibly do. <laughs> right. So if I want you to get, if I want to get you to do something, I'll just raise the hackles about how you can't do it, and then you'll end up doing it. <laughs> cool. Well, it was awesome talking to you, Aaron, and I. Your summer continues to go well, and we'll uh, hopefully catch up at a conference or at a venue near you in the in the near future. Yeah, good to talk to you guys too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh.